I invite you to turn with me to uh, two places in Scripture. First, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and then Ephesians 4. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> We're beginning today in verse 21. And some of you will recognize we read this not that long ago. And we especially read this in the context of thinking of forgiveness as the canceling of a debt. Just one other image of God's forgiveness. And uh, I have a slightly different purpose to, uh, in reading this today, and I trust that will become clear soon enough. Matthew 18, 21. And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And now over to Ephesians chapter 4, 32. One verse. Ephesians 4.32, again, God says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God, in Christ, forgave you. Well, for these past two months, we've been trying to answer the question, what do we mean when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins? And along the way, I fiddled with that question a bit, and on occasion, Put it to you this way, what does God do with our sin? And we've had two months worth of sermons exploring most of the dominant images and metaphors, these pictures God gives us in the Bible to describe what He does with our sin, what forgiveness looks like. And we've realized that as great and as rich and as multi-dimensioned those images are, 
And as great a blessing and joy those pictures offer to us, we have still not exhausted the Scriptures and everything they have to say about God's forgiveness of us. Today I want to shift a little bit. I hope this isn't too sharp of a pivot for you, and I trust this will speak to all of us. Because God's Word describes us in at least three ways. Every one of us. First, we are sinners against God. Second, we are sinners who sin against other people. And third, we are sinners who are surrounded by other sinners who sin against us. If you put that in two categories, we're uh, sinners and we are sinned against. We sin against God, we sin against others, and others sin against us. As we are sinners against God, we need His forgiveness. That's what's occupied us for these last couple of months. But as we are sinners who are forgiven by God, but who sin against other people, we need their forgiveness. And as we are sinners forgiven by God, but who, sin, uh, but who are sinned against by other people, we are called to grant them forgiveness when we are asked. And so since we have spent a lot of time, worthwhile time, I trust, on the question, what does God do with our sin? Let me get right to the point this morning with you and ask you this. What do you do with the sin of others? We've spent enough time asking, what does God do with our sin? It's time for us to ask, what do do you do? What do we do with the sins of others against us? Remember, we've continually sinned against a God, a holy God. And we continually sin in all sorts of ways, in particular, individual, identifiable ways. And God forgives us. And we notice this at the start. He he forgives us in our initial conversion, in what we've called, or best captured perhaps in the term justification. That moment when we first repented of our sins and we first put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the sin bearer in our place. That first moment, God forgave us of every sin, past, present, future. And our justification can never be diminished. It cannot be taken away from us. We cannot lose that status. But as we saw last week, as we uh, continue on as those who are now united to Christ by faith, we continue to sin. That's no great surprise to us if we're honest with ourselves. We continue to sin after we are justified and we continue to grow in new obedience and become increasingly like Jesus, being conformed to His image in what we call sanctification, being made holy. We are holy. We're called to be holy. 
And God forgives us every time we repent of our sins, every time we renew our faith in Jesus Christ, even you might say 70 times 7. But today again, we also need to recognize that uh, since we sin against God, or as we sin against God, we also sin in the context of our human relationships. And here Paul is especially interested in our relationships as Christians in the church. And we need to be in the business of forgiving one another and in seeking and granting forgiveness one to the other. Because we recognize and will increasingly recognize that just as our sin creates a barrier between us and God, our sin disrupts the full enjoyment of fellowship and communion with Him. So too, when we sin against brothers and sisters in Christ, or when they sin against us, a barrier is placed between us. And until we deal with that sin, we will not have the full enjoyment of fellowship and communion with them. And that brings us to our text today, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And this is echoed nearly exactly in Colossians 3.13 where Paul writes, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Colossians 3.13, in case you're following along, immediately follows what we read as God's standard of righteousness this morning. We have been united to Christ. We've been raised with Him. We are in the heavenly places with Him. And so part of living in that newfound obedience includes clothing ourselves or, or being changed and transformed into His image, and that includes, among other things, a mutual forgiveness. So once again, we're asking this very simple question, what do you do with the sins of others? And the message for you this morning is God the Father, by His Spirit, through the mouth of the Apostle Paul, calls us to forgive one another as He has forgiven us in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father, by His Spirit, through the mouth of the Apostle Paul, calls us to forgive one another as He has forgiven us through and in His Son, Jesus Christ. I think we can boil it down to this for you today, a mutual horizontal forgiveness. A mutual horizontal forgiveness rests on, flows out of, and is pictured for you in the forgiveness you yourselves have received from God in Jesus. And that's a deliberate, on my part, mixing of metaphors. It rests on, it flows out of, is pictured by, because forgiveness is a whole burst of metaphors and images in Scripture. Now, your horizontal forgiveness rests on, flows out of, is pictured for you in the forgiveness you have received from God 
in Christ. But it's more than that. It's a call and an obligation. Each of you is under a Christian obligation to forgive others when they repent of a sin against you and to receive from them their forgiveness when it is offered to you upon your repentance. All after the pattern given to you in God's forgiveness of you in Jesus Christ. So horizontal forgiveness is is a picture or flows out of it, it's imaged for you in, in God's forgiveness of you. But it's not just something that you ponder, it's something you do. It's a Christian obligation. By this I'm not wishing, and Paul is not wishing to add on to you a kind of heavy law or burden you can't perform. First, you are forgiven by God in Christ then and only then can you forgive in the kinds of way Paul speaks of today. Well, there are two parts of this text, and so there are two parts to the sermon. First the pattern, then the practice. The pattern and then the practice. Note this close. It's an absolute bond of dependence of your forgiveness on the pattern of God's forgiveness. Your forgiveness of others depends and is informed by God's forgiveness of you. It all depends on that little word in both of the texts, the little two-letter word, as. There's this unavoidable comparison between our forgiveness of others and and being forgiven by others and the forgiveness we first receive from God. Our forgiveness finds its template, its pattern in God's forgiveness of us in Christ, but it also finds its energy, its source, its the ability and desire on our part to do it. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, what does that mean? It means we need to do a little review again, don't we? We need to do a little summary of what God's forgiveness looks like. If we need to pattern ours after His, we need to be reminded of what His looks like. And let me remind you again that the vocabulary in the Bible describing the variety of ways we sin against God is more than matched by the varied vocabulary of God's forgiveness. So, when our sin is a burden or a weight, God drops it into the bottom of the sea. When our sin is offensive to Him, He casts it underfoot and tramples on it. When sin is filth or pollution or dirt, God cleanses and washes and purifies us. When sin is a barrier between us and God, God removes that as far away from us as the east is from the west. When sin is put in financial terms, it's a debt we could never repay on our own. God cancels it. When our sin serves as a reminder to our covenant God that we deserve His judgment and curse and punishment, He chooses to remember our sin no more. When our sin stands as an offense to Him, He covers it with the blood of Jesus. 
to the extent our sin involves us in bondage or slavery. He redeems us from it. What does God do with our sin? Let me count the ways. He drops it in the depths of the sea. He tramples it underfoot. He washes it. He removes it. He cancels it. He forgets it. He covers it. He frees us. And more than that, and beyond all that, we remember God's forgiveness of us is rooted in this mysterious blend or mix of His holiness and justice on the one hand that makes our sin sin and that makes us liable to His judgment and His love and compassion and His mercy on the other. And all those come together, that glorious mix and blend of God's character and His attributes and His being, all that comes together in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's love for us, even before the foundation of the world, propels Him to send His Son. There's no outside or external influence on God compelling Him to forgive us. There's nothing outside of Himself that forces Him to forgive us our sin. And there's certainly nothing in us that would either obligate or prompt in Him forgiveness. He forgives us because He wants to. He forgives us because He said He would. He said He would because He wants to do it. He wants to forgive us because He loves us. And He forgives us and loves us because He wants to make us into a new humanity, a new people who look like His Son and who then delight in fellowship and communion with Him and who will bring Him glory and praise and adoration forever and ever because they've been so transformed. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, the one whom John the Baptist describes as, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This son laid down his life to satisfy God's holy justice, his wrath against sin, to satisfy the demands of God's law that sin be put to death and result in death. So that all of our sins might be cleansed and covered and canceled and forgiven and forgotten that we might be freed. And we've learned that while God's promise or offer of forgiveness is presented to all, it is only received, it is only received by those in whom His Spirit works, who out of a sense of hatred for their sin, awareness of it, hatred for it, out of a sense of their need for an external Savior, who out of the Apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ who call out to Him for forgiveness. Not all in this world over all time are forgiven. That should capture our attention. Not all in all time are actually forgiven. Only those who by the Spirit of Christ at work in them renounce their sin, lay hold of the mercy of God in Christ, who repent of their sin and receive God's forgiveness as it's offered in Christ. The fact is, there are some who do not hate their sin. Or hate their sin, but not enough to do anything about it. 
There are those who have no sense of the danger of their sin. There are those who simply do not believe they need a Savior, who think they're doing okay, or who do, think they do more good than bad things, and so somehow in the end, the scales will tip in their favor. There are some who doubt that God is merciful, who don't believe that God will forgive them if they but throw themselves at his feet. There are some who will satisfy themselves by saying they forgive themselves, though the Bible knows nothing at all about that notion. Our primary sin is not against ourselves, it's against God. We don't need our own forgiveness of ourselves, we need God's. But the important thing to see in all this is that even though forgiveness is not received by all, God continues to stand ready to forgive. And Jesus' own words remain true, John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And so by now it needs to be abundantly clear to us, I trust it is, that when God forgives us, there's nothing halfway about that forgiveness. He lavishes it on us. He removes our sin. He doesn't sweep it under the stove to be discovered later. He doesn't dredge to the bottom of the sea looking for it. He doesn't need to wash us again. When He washes us, we sparkle. When He covers our sin, there's nothing peeking out around the edges. When He cancels our sin, He doesn't come back later looking for either interest or payment at all. When He frees us, there's nothing holding us down. When God forgets our sin, He doesn't put a post-it note on His fridge or set up an alert on His phone to remind Him that we are sinners and that we sinned in those particular ways. He forgives us fully. And He will forgive us finally that he might receive all glory and praise flowing from hearts and lips who know of those who know this forgiveness, who have embraced it and received it and delight in it and are profoundly relieved by it. From the hearts and lips of those who know his forgiveness is unhindered and it is unaccompanied by any sense of entitlement on our part. And this finally gets us to the second part, the second part of our question. Well, then what do we do with the sins of others? How then must we both forgive and receive forgiveness? How must we forgive others? What does this Christian obligation to forgive others look like? Well, the short answer is, as we ourselves have been forgiven. As God in Christ has forgiven us. I could end there, but let me just flesh that out a little bit for you. 
Notice, first, that both of these passages assume, as Peter did when he approached Jesus, that other people sin against us. They assume we sin against other people. And if we're honest with ourselves, we admit that uh, we sin against the Lord all the time. We, 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 we kind of embrace that. We, we know we're supposed to say that. And we even believe it, though it's a little challenging for us to admit that with specificity for ourselves, that we, we sin against God in these particular ways again and again. But let's assume we do that. And we recognize that we're in constant need of His forgiveness. And if God's standard of righteousness for us, His standard for being in the full communion and enjoyment of a relationship with Him means that we're to love Him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we know we always fall short. But what about God's standard for us in our relationships with other people? What is it? We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we ought to admit, I think pretty easily, we fall short of that too. I think it's so much easier for us, at least it's easier for me, and maybe you join me in this. It's so much easier to come up with a list of all the ways others have sinned against me than it is for me to create that list of all the ways I've sinned against others. We have this amazing capacity to remember. To remember the words we've heard, uh, those sharp, unkind, biting words, the selfish, thoughtless acts against us. We have this amazing capacity to, to remember dates and times and places and occasions of when someone sinned against us, perhaps in a very minor way, perhaps in a very significant way. Or perhaps the accumulation of a series of offenses over time that have eroded our relationship with the other person like the water dripping on the rock. And it doesn't take us long to compile a list, especially when we consider those closest to us, those in our homes, the people who live in the same four walls, those who are sitting just a few pews ahead or behind us, those who are in our families, our marriages, and our relationships at work or school or wherever God has put us. And then we need to hear this. Sometimes we need to remember Proverbs 19.11, a man's wisdom, a woman's wisdom gives them patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. We can do that. We're allowed to. Peter, uh, 1 Peter 4, 8, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. There are times, there are times when you are absolutely free to pass over minor offenses of others committed against you out of love. Kind of like what we might do in a conversation with someone uh, when, when we choose to say nothing even though that person just ended their sentence with a preposition. We say nothing. We love them. On the other hand, there are times, and this is to the point of the passage, there are times when people really do sin against us. 
And when we're called here in our contemplation of God's forgiveness of us, not to trivialize that sin. There are times in the life of the body of Christ when people really do sin against us and when the Spirit of Christ works a conviction of sin in them, they recognize the sin they have committed, the harm they have caused to your relationship, and they come to you and they seek your forgiveness. That right there, my friends, is a holy moment. We are conditioned by our culture to want to say, it was no big deal. It was nothing, really. We good. When in fact, it was a big deal. It really was something. And we not good. I'm encouraging you today, based on what Paul writes in Ephesians and Colossians, not to deprive someone of the joy of having confessed sin forgiven by passing over to minimizing it when they come to you and repent of it. Not to deprive them of the joy of the Holy Spirit who floods their hearts and they now have some sense of a renewed and restored relationship with you. Do not rob them of the opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction of them of their sin or the opportunity they have to bring glory to God in Christ by His Spirit for forgiveness received. When a fellow, fellow believer comes to you seeking your forgiveness, she is seeking to be restored to the fullness of, a joy, and of joy and relationship with you. She knows she has breached your fellowship by her sin. She wants back in. And the only way for her back in is for you to acknowledge that sin and to forgive it. Your forgiveness of others, their forgiveness of you brings joy and peace and relief and restoration. It honors Christ in whom you are forgiven by God. And if you continue in this analogy and why this is such a holy moment, you can think about this. When they come to you wanting to confess a sin they've committed against you, even if they don't quite use that language, maybe they say something as simple as, I was wrong. Please forgive me. In that moment, you are to keep the analogy going. You are to them like God. Just as God is wronged by our sin against him, you have been wronged by that sin of that other person against you. Just as God sits in judgment on sinners, you are able and probably have been sitting in judgment on that sinner against you. Just as God was able to condemn you, you have the power to condemn that person. Here's the point of the text, though, my friends. Just as God has forgiven you, you, because you are forgiven in Christ, have the capacity and the call to forgive others. And you do this out of the same, uh, from the same starting point as God has for you, that is love and compassion and mercy. 
that you grant forgiveness to those who seek it. This is how God forgives out of his own love, out of the abundance of his pity and compassion and mercy for you. Come to its full expression in Christ. This is why you don't say when someone comes to you and says, I was wrong, please forgive me. You don't say, it's okay, no big deal. Because it is a big deal and it was a big deal to God when he put Christ on the cross. It was a big deal. And so this is what he requires of us. Forgive as you have been forgiven. But again, it's not a law or a heavy burden for us. It's a joy and a delight, and it flows out of our own recognition of having been forgiven by God in Christ. So let your forgiveness of others be as full and as free and as restorative as God's forgiveness is to you. And as you embrace and enjoy the forgiveness of God for you, in Jesus Christ, cultivate a similar spirit of grace and compassion and mercy and forgiveness for others. So that, especially those who live in the same house as you, so that those who sin against you will want to come to you because they know they're coming to a forgiving person, not a condemning one. They're coming then, they want to come to you not out of a a fear of your judgment, though they might even believe they deserve it and they do, but out of a desire and out of an expectation that you will relieve them of their burden of sin by forgiving them. God forgives willingly. God forgives generously. So you too, be not tight-fisted but open handed in your dispensing of forgiveness. God's forgiveness restores us to a relationship with Him and has the same impact in our forgiving of others or having been forgiven by others. Relationships are built. They're restored. They're renewed. They're fortified and strengthened. And in all this, what happens? We present a witness to the world that we understand what victimhood looks like. We understand what it means to be sinned against. We understand what it means not just to dust them off or to say it was fine or to say we good. We understand this is sin. And there's grace and mercy from God in Christ to forgive it. This puts real legs and feet on our confession. This is the fruit that adorns our confidence and expression of our faith in God in Jesus Christ. It complements what we say in our deeds. When's the last time you forgave someone? When's the last time a Christian, a brother or sister, forgave you? And did that forgiveness at all look like God's forgiveness of you? in Christ. You are forgiven. Forgive one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin and enabling and empowering us both to desire and to have the ability to forgive others. We pray that we would now act on what we have heard for the praise of your glory, for the restoration of relationships, and for the Uh, for our witness to the world. We pray it all in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen.